Hello and welcome to another episode of Worked Up, the podcast where you learn to navigate the workplace, business, and your career with a little more ease and a lot less angst. I'm your host, Jacqueline Beck, and we have a very special guest in the studio with us today, Ginny Neal. Welcome to Worked Up. Thank you for having me. Super excited to be here. I am so excited you're here. By way of background, Ginny does it all. She is an attorney by training. She was general counsel at an investment advisory firm. She was a financial advisor, still is a financial advisor. She's an entrepreneur and actually launched her own financial advisory business. She's an author. She's in the, she's in the process of publishing her first book. So Ginny, is there anything you don't do? Oh my gosh, there's so many things I don't do, right? Like I don't cook. (laughs) I don't clean very well. (laughs) No woman is superhuman. That that's fair. And that's a very, very good point. And I'm sure we'll get into that in a little bit. But before we really dig into things, do you mind telling everyone a little bit about your background? Well, sure. I mean, you covered it in a nutshell. I I feel that my career has taken me in different directions, but all very intentional and methodical. And, you know, as a young attorney doing deals with the business guys, I decided I'd like to be in business too. And so when I had the chance to be general counsel of a wealth management business, I said, heck yes, I want to do this. And um, then I just became passionate about learning and learning how to manage my own money um, and really get educated. And so that took me on a journey to really wanting to work with clients and getting my securities licenses. And, you know, I've worked for the big Wall Street firms. And during COVID, I had the time to contemplate and figure things out. And I just really wanted to create my own investment business where I could focus on the clients I wanted to focus on. And also really, um, I feel like the industry's changing a lot and there's a lot of opportunity. i think in the investment world, like just the right investments to make is changing too. So Mm. some of the old formulaic things that all the traditional wealth management does, um, I think will be, you know, it won't be replaced, but it might change a lot. And I wanted to be nimble enough to do so. And so anyway, Spring True is the name of my investment firm. Um, it's S-P-R-I-N-G-T-R-U, one word. There's no E on it. So that, that's how people could find me. But it's just been such a joy. I launched that in January 2000, um, 2021. And it's it's so fun to be creative and to really be picking the clients that I enjoy. And I just have loved the entrepreneurial journey. You just mentioned so many things that we can go in so many directions. But what's standing out to me about your journey were the words opportunity and nimble. Mm. Because you went from big law to big finance, right? For lack of a better term, to entrepreneurship and launching your own business in an industry that has very high barriers to entry. It's not easy to do that. So as you reflect on your career and staying nimble, what does that mean to you? I think so many of us, particularly women, because we're juggling the lion's share of household responsibility and kids and 
I really do think we do a lot of the heavy lifting in relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel that we get compressed with time. So being nimble to me is creating a space where you're open to seeing opportunities and hearing opportunities. Because I think women get caught up in the day to day. And so, you know, there's not a lot of space to say what's next for me. What do I really love in life? What do I want to create in life? And to me, creating that space to just get quiet with yourself and ask yourself those important questions is what being nimble means. And and also being brave enough to make changes when something's speaking to you. Yeah. And, and there's so much in that. There's the being brave enough to even look in the mirror, right? To ask yourself the question, because that can be hard to begin with. I see that a lot in my practice. And then saying, okay, I've had this reflection I've had this this period of looking internally. I think I know what I want. Now I actually have to go do it. And that can feel like jumping off a ledge. And I think for many women it is because the expectations are high. And often it's easier to stay doing what you're doing because it quote unquote works. Mm. So how did you, through so many different seasons of your career, find the courage to take that leap? It's interesting that you asked that because I don't see myself as courageous. Oh. Um, but I also am not willing to live a life that I feel is mediocre for myself. Mm. So, and I will also admit that some of the changes that I've made are not because it's percolating within me. So let's just say I know that something needs to be done. But I also feel like the universe or whatever you want to call the bigger thing that is here on Mm -hmm. on this planet pushes you out. If you are not supposed to be where you're, where you are, you also get nudges, Mm. right? And it might be a criticism in your current job. It could just be like a little bit of a health scare. Mm. It could be that you develop some anxiety, but I think there's this sense internally that there's an incongruence with where you are and where you want to be. So to me, that discomfort can't last forever. Like at some point I have to close that gap and go from something that is, you know, a little bit, let's just say it could be boring it could just feel like not your purpose. It could Mm -hmm. feel like a million different things, but you just know that there's something bigger out there and you have to go do it. So it sounds like there's this misalignment that gets too tough to bear. That is a great. And it manifests externally, right? Because even criticism at work, a lot of people I talk to, I'm like, okay, well, what's your part in that? Absolutely. Right. And so sometimes when we're not aware of the way we feel or our internal ecosystem, we manifest that in actions and behaviors that cause certain outcomes. And there's an element of owning your part in that as well. Totally agree. And it, and it sounds like what you're saying is keeping perspective and an open mind and frankly, open eyes and ears to pick up on those little hints yeah. that you see along the way. And that goes back to like creating the space to like really think and feel and kind of dig a little deeper because we really are pulled in a lot of different directions. And without that space, I feel like the awareness doesn't necessarily come or it doesn't come as quickly. Mm. Right. So we can get ourselves into a lot of pain 
you know, even if we do, we always have a part, right? Just mm-hmm. like when a relationship is breaking up, there are two <laughs> people there. Yes. And, um, but, but I do feel like that space, creating that space for yourself, it's, it's critical to moving forward and feeling happier and more joyful in, in your work experience. How do you create space for yourself? I'm a meditator and I'll share something personal because I think it's important. Um, when I was even a young person, and I'm writing about this in, in my book, and I was trying to think, I, I suffer from anxiety. Mm. And that tends to manifest when I'm not giving myself the time and space to like really, you know, reflect, self-care, ask myself what is amiss, right? Mm-hmm. Or what is missing. Um, but that anxiety for me was manifesting even early on in my career where I would just get to a point where I was super burned out. Like when I was practicing law, I was working often 15 hours a day and it was seven days a week. Mm -hmm. Sunday may have been a truncated day, but it was intense. And there were times where my anxiety would go up and I would feel panicky Mm -hmm. or I would even get sick. And so I want women to understand that like they don't, it doesn't have to come that far, but I've learned kind of the hard way, but that forced me into a meditative practice to Mm. answer your question. And it forced me to, to really be more in tune with my body to say, okay, when do I need to take a time out? Mm. And I do that for myself now. And it has been life changing. And I do think that uh, that has been probably one of the biggest things for me being able to make changes and be okay and brave enough to do that. How has it been life-changing? The meditation and self-care? Yes. Um, well, when you suffer from anxiety, you know that the stakes are high. Like a panic attack is super scary. Mm. And you feel like you're dying. Mm. Like you feel like you're having a heart attack or whatever. And it could be even, you know, a lot of people are suffering from autoimmune disease. Like I do believe that there is a mind-body connection there. And... um I was not willing, I'll just say this, for me, I was not willing to live my life where my body was controlling me or stopping me. So I was like, I have to get this under control. Yeah. So that's how it's life altering because now I feel like I actually do. We have, you know, we don't have control over everything, <laughs> but we have control over some things. Right. So when you're controlling the things that you can can control, like meditating, you know, eating the right things, taking good care of your body, those things can really help you feel more empowered, right? They just ground you in a way that when you're frenetic and just running from thing to thing, you kind of get lost in the equation. Yeah. And it's, it sounds like you're talking about a shift from reactive to proactive. And I love that you use the word empowered because I think that's such a, an elegant word that really speaks to motivation and how you can keep people on track to do things. When you see the outcome, when you see how it benefits you, when you see how you're helping yourself, it's very self-motivating. It's very empowering to use that. And I like to say in my practice, I like to deliver clarity, direction, empowerment, and growth. And the growth sounds very similar to what you're saying is that you have a love of learning. Always. So through each of the different stops on your career train, to use the metaphor, what do you think are the key lessons that you've learned that help influence the way you build your business and the way you lead your business and the way you live your life? Okay. So key. I think the first thing that comes to mind is that I need to take care of myself Mm. because 
and it's funny that I'm coming back to this because I've never really talked this much about self-care, but no one is going to be your advocate and your champion more than you. So really taking care of yourself. And I would say even more importantly, trusting yourself and your instincts are probably the best things you can do for yourself. And when I look back when I was younger in my career, I was such a people pleaser, Mm. Jacqueline. Oh my goodness. Just crazy. And so I would try to please the senior people and the higher ups and be perfect and all of those things. And that got me nowhere. It got me anxiety, right? It got me um, discontent. And, uh, and, you know, so that, that trust of myself, because I do think, and again, I'm coming back to that like silence too, because that checking in, you know, you're discontent earlier. If you like stop for a minute and say, what is going on here? And so I would say to younger profession, women, professionals and men, check in with yourself, mm-hmm. right? Don't, don't be afraid to say this isn't working for me because you will, sometimes you feel like you're going to fall, but you will always be picked up if you're willing to dig in and work hard. There will be food on the table. There will be a roof over your head. Don't be a delinquent, right? <laughs> you can't be a lazy person, but if you're willing to work hard and show up, I just find that things come Positive attitude is another one I would add to the list because that's what you can control, your attitude toward things. And when things get really tough, it's often easy to be reactive or to be critical of others and seeing the other side. It's back to you saying what's your part in it. Mm -hmm. Like that type of honesty and I think just ability to say, you know, I'm wrong in this or whatever. I think that self-awareness is also critical. That can come with experience, time, but but all of those things I think are super important. First of all, it takes one to know one because I myself am a reformed people pleaser. It's hard. You slip back into it. Always too. Old habits die hard. <laughs> um, but But I know exactly what you mean. And as you're talking, I'm thinking about self-care. And self-care can take so many different forms because clearly there's meditation. There's doing things that make your body feel good, right? There's also advocating for yourself. And, you know, you're talking about a specific type of advocating for yourself, which is pausing and taking time to get clear on what you value, what you want, what's important to you. What are your non-negotiables? What are you not willing to sacrifice for the job? And there's also a piece of advocating for yourself, which is acting on those things. And aligning your beliefs and aligning your values with the way you communicate, the way you act, and the way you behave. May I say something about that? Please. Because it's bringing something up for me. I think that's really important. And the, I would say the more experienced I got in my career and the more confident I got, the more I was willing to speak up when I felt that something needed to be said or um something was incongruent with my values, things of that nature. Um, And I do think that is actually where I had to put up or shut up because Mm. when you are stepping up and saying, this is how I work in this world, there are people who are going to like it and there are people who aren't going to like it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you can be in a job where they don't really want you to do those things. So it is, it is a bit of a cautionary tale um, but at the end of the day, when you are standing up for yourself, you're living your life versus living your life by default, which a lot of people do. They just 
let let the rigor of the day to day take over and mm-hmm. they don't really say, you know, this is my life. These are my values. This is what I want. This is what I stand for, um, which to me is one of my non-negotiables. Yeah. So how do you reconcile that dissonance, right, between this is what's important to me and this is the organization or the environment that I operate in? And I still need to succeed within the social constructs of this very specific microculture. So I think it's important to be aware of the microculture. You cannot ignore it because I used to have a therapist in my life that said, Jenny, you are a smart woman. Play the game. You know what the game is. There are these microcosms that, and I think that the more women that can ground themselves, and again, I'm going to go back to the self-care because if you're really grounding yourself and you have other aspects of your life that are working really well, you don't get so consumed by the culture or the microcosm of what is. Mm. And you can show up really strongly as yourself, right? And, and, and typically be well-received by most people. I do think that the more women that can figure out how to do that in these large corporate environments, the better off we'll be. There'll be more diversity in leadership. We've already seen statistics that women, um, you know, with l- w- companies that have women leadership are actually performing better. Mm. There was an article out that actually in the New York Times, this was many years ago, but female financial f- advisors tend to actually perform better oh. because they, the research found that they stick to, um, they stick to methodology and they have a plan and they usually tend to stick to it more than the males. Now that's a generalization. Statistics can change, you know, Mm -hmm. finance is always changing, as I said, but like, it's those things when women are standing up really strongly for themselves and showing up that I think are going to be game changers for this world. I really do. I feel that the more women that are really owning who they are and, um, not being afraid of the consequences of the change, the better off we'll be. Yeah. It's interesting because as you're talking, it's making me think about situations I've been in where I've been fortunate that for a lot of my career, my colleagues have been very supportive of hearing my opinion. And I am someone, maybe unsurprisingly, who isn't scared to give it. Um, But I've always been fairly assertive. I've also been in situations where that was not appreciated. And there is sometimes this double standard that's applied to women in talking up and advocating both for themselves as well as just giving an opinion. And so when you say that you had someone in your life who told you to play the game, how would you translate that to to advice for a woman who's listening to this podcast right now? The first question I think I would ask myself if in that position is, do you want to play the game? And then I might ask myself, okay, if you do play the game, what consequence does that have for you? Like, how does that affect you emotionally, personally? And then if the answer is still, yes, I want to play the game, then you have to be savvy and say, how do I show up? And I think that finding, it's sometimes hard to find a good mentor. At least I've had that challenge. I've had a couple of women that I've, and a man that I have relied on for some advice, but in some corporate structures, it was very difficult to find somebody to to mentor. 
um, because those relationships, they can be assigned right, mm-hmm. by a company, but they really need to be organic. I agree. And then there's a lot of discussion about your mentor really needs to be your advocate. And that is where I found that people often fell short. Like they were willing to give me advice, but they weren't really willing to like dig in and advocate. I think that when you get into management in these big corporate companies, there are some people that are very effective you need to look and see if they have been able to advance their other people mm. and that type of stuff. And I would say if you can find that person and align with them, that will be very helpful, um, not only to process difficult situations, but also for your career advancement. Yeah. It's almost like the difference between a mentor and a sponsor. And I think I've had both in my career, mentors who you know, I trust implicitly and I could open up and really reveal the way I'm feeling about certain situations. And then sponsors are those people that, to use your word, are advocating on your behalf to help progress your career. And you do also have that mentor relationship with. And I do, I agree with you, they have to grow organically or else they're going to be fake. And they're not going to get you, not to say that these relationships are meant to get you anything, but I think both people benefit so much from the relationship because you get so much from each other, right? And if that unique organic connection isn't there, it's somewhat meaningless. And I think I would encourage anyone, right, whether you're more senior in your career or junior, to take the time to develop those relationships. Because again, we are so compressed with time these days, just a lot of things coming at, at us. I can't even answer all my emails. Like it is, <laughs> I feel so terribly that I'm not responsive, but like you just can't physically keep up with everything. And, but human connection is really important. Yes. And we are in a virtual world, no doubt, but fostering those, I think for me, like I think about the first woman who mentored me in law, she is one of my best friends Mm. today. That's what means something. Yes. It's not about showing up to close that big deal. It's about having fun along the way and creating relationships. I, could not agree more with you. I think as I reflect on my career, the relationships are the things I'm most proud of. Mm -hmm. And real relationships, not I want something from you, so I'm going to get on your good side and in your good graces. I mean, real deep friendships where there are people who, you know, I talk to with regularity because I trust them and they trust me and we can talk about a myriad of subjects and be there for each other. I would also say it's sometimes surprising too who those people end up being. Yes. I have been amazed, especially when I'm going through difficult times, work-wise in particular, who shows up. Mm. It is often the most surprising people that I wouldn't even think I had an impact on. So that's another thing I think to just like put in your cap and think about is every day when you show up, you could be impacting somebody that you don't even realize. So how do you want to show up? Right. And, and what I strive to do, especially, you know, I keep talking about busyness. <laughs> right? I can tell what's Shut on your mind. With the same things. I know. right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, I feel like being present is huge. And when I'm in a meeting, I put down my cell phone, right? I put down my cell phone so I can be there. I want to be there with the person. If they have 30 minutes of my time, they get 30 minutes of my time. If you take nothing else away from this podcast, take that away. 
put down the cell phone. I can't tell you how many meetings I've been in where everyone around the table is texting or emailing and you're sitting there talking and you're like, what the hell am I doing here? No one's engaged. There's no, no one's even looking at each other. We're doing nothing. We could all just be emailing and you don't get that personal connection. You don't get the reactions. You know, we had a guest on a few weeks ago who was talking about how much of communication is tone and body language. And when you're not looking at somebody, you miss out on almost 90% of communication because words are just 7%. So again, beating a drum here, put down the cell phone. And as you're talking, that I, I love how all roads are leading back to know yourself and this, this concept of control. And I think people have a tendency of thinking of control as a dirty word in some ways. Oh, you're controlling. You're a control freak, right? But to steal your earlier word, knowing what is and is not in your control can be incredibly empowering. Because it allows you to say, what's important to me? How do I want to show up? And then how do I do that through the way I communicate and the way I act? So that's kind of bringing it full circle back to that. But, but it, you know, being able to ask yourself the tough question of what can I actually do in this situation? And sometimes I've found that's where mentors can be very helpful because my mentors have tended to have more tenure than me. And so their life experience has been invaluable in really being able to siphon out what I can and cannot do in certain situations. It's true that that wisdom and, and knowing an organization deeply too is pretty important um, to get advice and strategy. But I was thinking of something else as you were talking too. The other thing about asking yourself what you can control and empowering yourself is also asking yourself, what boundaries do I need to set for mm. myself? And, you know, boundaries gets a bad name too sometimes like, oh, she's too rigid. She's got all of these boundaries, but people who have sound boundaries are people that you can trust. You can trust them to show up the way they want to show up because they know who they are and they're congruent. They've asked themselves the questions. And then you, you can also trust them to be consistent, right? So I feel like people that have clear boundaries, like for a people pleaser, reformed, <laughs> reforming, <laughs> those, those boundaries are really important because my time is important. Yeah. And, and I, I love that you, you just said that. And as, as we're talking about advocating for yourself and implementing boundaries, I'm also thinking about you know, different levels of seniority within an organization. And I'm curious your thoughts on this, but as I'm thinking, you know, there's also an element of paying your dues and having to earn an opinion and having to earn certain things, right? Not to say I don't believe in a work-life balance. That's not what I mean to say whatsoever, but I do get the sense that sometimes there's a misconception that people should get all the perks of a job right out of the gate when they step foot in an organization. And I'm curious what you think about that. 
from a person who rolled up her sleeves and worked really hard as a youngster in my career, I feel like there, there is an earning of your dues. And, but to me, some of the entitlement that comes with, I should just be there is also laziness. Mm. So it's difficult for managers these days because not only do people want flexibility and work for and work from home, right? They think that they should also be a manager at the age of 22. Mm-hmm. And I still think people should work hard. I mean, that's just how I was raised. It's part of my value system. Um, there is reward in working hard and receiving something in return for it, mm-hmm. climbing up that ladder. Mm-hmm. And you don't know what you don't know sometimes when you're young. And I just think a little humility with respect to that is something that I would value in, in a young protege or, you know, someone coming up through my ranks. And I think that managers are thinking about those things. Um, so I would say, give it a couple years, right? Like be willing, be willing to be a person who says yes to things um, and, and see what happens. Um, because I do think hard work is rewarded a lot of the time. Sometimes it's not. I also think you should look at who your manager is too, because there are some managers, Mm. I think this is really important to say, there's some managers in corporate America that I call the people who manage up. All they are concerned about is their next step on the ladder. Yes. And the, the people that work underneath them are ignored often. Right. And it's certainly a check the box for them. And I do think as a young person, you should have some awareness of that. Because if you have a managing up manager, I would look maybe for another one or for a lateral transfer within the firm or something like that, because there are good managers out there who actually do want to mentor and advocate and the Mm -hmm. things we talked about earlier. But there are a lot of manage up people. Mm -hmm. And and I found it in my career to be super frustrating as a person who is ambitious to have that type of manager, because I'm like, who's going to take care of me if my manager does not? Right. And that's where advocating for yourself comes in. True. Right. And as you're talking, I'm also thinking about there's the managing up manager. Then there's the manager who absconds their management responsibilities. So (laughs) you and I, you and I have both worked in, in law and banks, right? And there's a lot of really great attorneys or really great investors that get promoted to leading and managing teams. And I joke, I say this tongue in cheek, half the time they don't even like people. So they don't want to deal with the management part of their job, right? And and that honestly is what led me to pursuing the career and, and that I have now and building the business I have now. But it's also about knowing your audience, right? And knowing, again, to bring it back to that microculture, really understanding the water that you swim in. You know how they say fish don't know the water they swim in? really understanding that, that water. And as you're talking, I'm also reminded I'm a bit of a geek and I love stoic philosophy. And there's a quote by Seneca that I'm probably going to butcher, but he, he says that luck is where preparation meets opportunity. And so when you were talking about rolling up your sleeves and getting your hands dirty and working hard, that to me is the preparation piece. The opportunity comes but it's a matter of being ready for when it comes and then you can create your own luck. I think we, I think we create our luck. Right. Um, and so as you were talking, I was just, I was just thinking about that because that to me sounds like what you've done 
in your career and how you've been able to pivot so elegantly between seemingly disparate industries and really hard industries to be successful in. And you've been very successful in all of them. I so appreciate you acknowledging that because the road is not easy, but as far as your preparation goes, I do feel that's super important because it's not just preparations. It's also learning. And we talked about this a little bit too, like being a constant learner Yes, is you could do nothing better for yourself. If you invest in anything, invest in learning more because that makes you more marketable. It makes you braver. Mm. It makes you willing to make changes and it makes you be a more confident worker. Um, if you really do just want the promotion, it's a little bit of fluff. So mm-hmm. when you get into that position, you might find yourself not knowing what to do or, or falling apart at some moment if you don't have the base, right? So being a constant learner, investing in yourself is, is to me, that's where I spend my money. Mm-hmm. It sounds like focusing on the journey rather than the destination. Exactly. Because we don't know what the destination is necessarily. Like you can have your mind on a goal. But when you think about the goals you've set, have they really come to fruition exactly how you thought they were? Never. Never. So, you know, I do think the goal is important because that gives you a baseline to strive for. But, you know, once you're in in the moment, you have to enjoy the journey. Yeah. And I have been saying that to myself. I said this to a friend the other day who was asking me to give advice to my like self two years ago. And I said, there is joy in the uncertainty. And that's life, right? And so if you can enjoy that just uncertainty and the the bumps in the road, the waves that you ride, what however you want to put it, that is living. And to me, that is what I want to do every day, right? Because that's all I have is today. That's so inspirational. It, I mean, it's true. <laughs> well, I find it to be very inspirational. And I, frankly, I think that's one of the hardest lessons I've had to learn is how to not be so goal-oriented, how to not be so focused on the destination, because you're right, the road to get there inevitably is different than you think. So, so Jenny, as we wind down, and I feel like we've answered some of these questions already, but I do like to rapid fire a few questions to my guests, if that's okay with you. I'm going to take a deep breath. Perfect. Okay. So number one is what advice would you give, and I I feel like we've spent a lot of time talking about more junior members of big corporations today. So let's say a junior, a a junior person in a big organization as they're thinking about navigating their career and their next steps. Don't get caught up in, if you're ambitious and you want to climb the ladder, don't get caught up in what you think the structure is. I would say, ask yourself what you really want and what you enjoy because to me, entrepreneurship has has heightened my creativity level greatly. And I mm. wasn't able to be creative. And creativity now is something that I know is super important for me. So I, I feel like you've got to ask those questions and then be very clear with the people that manage you and the people around you about what you want. Because if you are not clear about what you want, you might not get it. Mm. That's great. I always say all roads lead back to clarity and communication, and we just tend to overcomplicate it. Mm -hmm. All right, next question. Okay. What do you know now that you wish you knew then? 
gosh, so many things. I think I know now that I'm going to be okay no matter what happens. Mm. That's probably the most important thing because my younger self was ready to fall apart if any criticism happened or if my job wasn't going well or if I felt like I was going to lose a relationship. And now I know I'm going to be okay. You just got to put one foot in front of the other and say, I can do this. It's just a moment in time. That's great. So Ginny, this has been a wonderful conversation. Unsurprisingly, I knew we were going to have fun today. How can people get in touch with you and learn more about all the amazing things that you're doing? Well, my investment business is at springtrue.com. That's S-P-R-I-N-G-T-R-U, no E on it, dot com. And then I mentor women uh, financially, personally, and professionally under another company called Move Forward Bravely. And that's moveforwardbravely.com. Fabulous. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a great conversation. And thank you to all of our listeners for joining us again on another episode of Worked Up. Look out for new episodes on Tuesdays. As you can tell, we really have some amazing guests that have been joining us on the podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe, like, and leave reviews. And please connect with us on Instagram at Jacqueline Beck Consulting at our website, www.jacquelinebeckconsulting.com or email us at info at See you next time. <laughs>